I'm Elle Cole, and you're listening to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. This is episode 56. Have you ever thought about what you should do if you have developmental concerns about your child? In this episode, we spoke with an educational psychologist board certified in perinatal mental health, a parenting coach, trainer, and author about the next steps you need to take. So tune in and listen to the entire episode. This is an important episode because many children have been home with their parents and they may have noticed some challenges that their kids are having, especially with learning. So if you have developmental concerns, definitely listen to the show, talk to your child's pediatrician, and identify some specific questions that you may have when you go to your child's pediatrician. So remember, with the Cleverly Changing podcast, it is our goal to provide you with encouragement, insight about African history, and support as a parent, home educator, and more. New episodes are uploaded bi-weekly, so please remember to subscribe and share. If you want to keep this podcast going, please consider supporting it by donating via our Patreon page at a low monthly cost. Visit patreon.com slash cleverlychanging. Today's African proverb is, you must decide where you are going in the evening if you intend to leave early in the morning. And that is a Malian proverb. It's now time for the word of the episode. Today's word of the episode is brought to you by Senegal and the Gambia. Amu Salah. Amu Salah. It means please in Wolof. I have some exciting news. During the month of April, I will be releasing my second book, The Ultimate Sickle Cell Activity Book. If you want to learn more about sickle cell disease, which is the most common disorder in the world, then you should sign up for my newsletter by going to cleverlychanging.com and putting in your name and email address so that I can contact you about updates. Thanks in advance. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another Cleverly Changing podcast. I am your host, Elle Cole, and this is episode... Wow. It's, it's one of those episodes. I don't even know what number we're at because it's just been so many episodes that we've recorded, but I have a fabulous guest for you today. And I think, you know, 
With this podcast, we've been trying to really help parents understand their role in nurturing and teaching their children. All of us have a role to play, even if we are not homeschool parents. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Dr. Rochelle Whitaker. Dr. Whitaker, we are so just honored to have you on our podcast today. She is an educational psychologist. She is board certified, which is important. (laughs) And she is a perinatal mental health, a parenting coach, trainer, author. She's just doing so much. And she's also a podcast host herself. And so it is a true honor to have her on our show to talk with us today. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So tell everybody just one of the one of your proudest moments as a healthcare professional. Have you had any moment that has really just kind of stood out to you that you're really proud of that makes you really know that you are walking in your purpose? Yes. So actually, um, this happened about a year ago. It's hard to remember with the pandemic, um, but I was talking to, she was actually a coworker. Um, well, maybe not a colleague. I don't know how you want to um, frame her, but I do some contract work with an agency. And so she works for the agency. And so she was having some issues with her son. Um, and from what she was, what the doctor was telling her was, um, was that her son was on the spectrum. And so she was just asking me different questions. And I was like, what was this based on? And she just told me like one symptom, one indicator. And I was like, well, no, that's, that's not how that works. So she and I just got to talking and so I, I gave her some different things to look at and some um, different things to do because based on what she was telling me, it didn't seem like he was on the spectrum. And I asked her how long the doctor had spent time with her son and she was like, it wasn't that long. And so she came back um, a few weeks later and told me like she had taken, that wasn't her actual pediatrician. It was just the one that was in the office at the time. And so she had um, told me she followed the, the things, she started looking for the things I had suggested and um, started doing a couple of things. And so she came back and told me, she was like, you were right. And she was like, I talked to my pediatrician, finally was able to meet with him. And she was just like, thank you so much. And so that just made me happy because I feel like parents kind of get stuck in the muck and mire when they get misinformation. And so it just uh, it just made my heart happy that I was able to help her and to kind of reduce some of her stress level and the overwhelm that she was feeling because her son at the time was two. So Wow. Wow. I think, you know, that story is just something that many parents can relate to because I think right now there's a lot of people who are just recognizing and learning that their child may have a diagnosis. And when you first hear that as a parent, you know, it's, you can't help, but be a little bit afraid. And so It's like, what do you do next when you have that sort of experience? So, you know, this is your profession. Can you just kind of walk us through uh, what parents should do and how, like, should, what are some concerns where they should say, hey, I probably should have my child tested. Um, Just, you know, can you walk us through that? How, How the experience starts and the next steps they should take? Sure. One of the things that I think parents, um, I would say more so moms, don't give themselves enough credit for is their intuition. So a lot of times what I often hear is mom saying there something's not quite right about my child. And 
they may talk to their spouse or they may talk to their pediatrician and um, they're like, no, they're fine. Or uh, just give it some time or, you know, you're just being extra. And so mom just kind of, you know, a lot of times she's like, okay, well maybe it's just me. Um, And, but you know, sometimes moms are like, no, something is wrong. And so what I will say is if you really want to have your child tested, what a lot of parents don't know is your you don't need your pediatrician's permission. Um, you don't they don't, they are not the only way to get to what you need. You can ask them for a referral, but you can also call. And here in Texas, they're called early childhood intervention, and so you can connect with them, and they will uh, set up an appointment, and they will do an assessment and look at the different areas and based on what you're telling them. And then they will say, okay, these are the interventions that we think your child needs or doesn't need based on what we've seen and start the ball rolling that way. And so parents don't have to wait. You can also, if you, if your pediatrician is telling you no, and you still feel like there's something going on, um, you go to a developmental pediatrician and have your child evaluated. So those are some different ways to go around the pediatrician because I know lots of parents go to the pediatrician and pediatrician's like, no, it's fine. And so um, those are two different ways. So it's early childhood intervention in Texas, but there are also early childhood intervention um, agencies in other states. That's just what it's called here. Yes, yes. Wow, so if, if a parent has an idea, like um, you talked about, you know, knowing in your gut that something is different. I know that there are, there are many different diagnoses. You mentioned autism and being on the spectrum earlier, but what populations do you work with? And, um, you know, what, what are some, I guess, symptoms are some things that uh, parents should see? Like, I know what comes to mind immediately is if your child isn't meeting the milestones, so like many pediatricians will send out like a um, evaluation sheet that they mm-hmm. want the parents to fill out before an appointment. And if the, the child isn't meeting those milestones, then, you know, they may ask them further questions. But um, just let us know what populations you work with and just some of the things that parents should be uh, aware of. Okay. So, yeah, so I work with um, uh, parents of children on the, of course, on the autism spectrum, um, parents of children that have been diagnosed with um, ADHD or hyperactivity, um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, I work with parents who have uh, children that have medical diagnosis that would then impact their their school setting, but they may need extra care. So something like cerebral palsy. Um, parents who have children that are intellectually disabled. Um, and so, um, it kind of runs the gamut parents that who, who have children who have emotional issues that later need to be served in special classrooms in the school as well. So I don't necessarily know that there's a disability that I don't serve, but those are some of the, the main ones. Um, and then as t- in terms of some of the things to look for in terms of milestones. So if your child is not talking, because like you said before, Doctors, a lot of times do have you fill out the um, ASQ. It's a developmental survey asking like what your child is doing or not doing. Sometimes though, it can be difficult for a parent to fill it out. And I'm just saying this as a parent who does this kind of work, when you're looking at your child and they're asking certain questions and you're like, 
I don't know if I've seen my child do this. Um, and so it's helpful if you're doing it in the doctor or the nurses in the office, because you can ask for um, some more information about it instead of just checking off no or yes. And then they're like, that's, you know, it's a red flag. But I would say if your child is not talking um, or I would say not, not talking, but maybe like not cooing, um, not initiating any kind of sound. So cooing starts early. Um, it starts, uh, I would say probably like four months, um, but really more specifically like six months. If they're not crawling, um, if they're not sitting up, if they have maybe low muscle tone. Um, so those are just basic ones. And then talking, talking is one of those things. If you're in a, if you're in a bilingual household, sometimes speech is delayed. Um, and that's just research-based, but if you're in a monolingual household, then your baby should be saying, um, so many words by so many months. So like, let's just say like 15 months, they should have at least like six words. They should be able to understand just basic words or, or be saying basic words. And they don't necessarily have to be um, that articulate, but but they're getting those words out. So those are just some basic kinds of developmental milestones um, that I would say that are important to start looking at. That's good to know because I, I think, you know, especially for first time home parent, for first time parents, it's like, you know, you're kind of, you want to make sure that you do everything right. And, yeah. you know, you don't want to mess up your child. I, of course, you know, as parents, we're not, it's not, it's not that rigid. Like you have to check every box and it's, it's really not like that. It's much more fluid, but, you know, we can have that sort of anxiety going into parenting and really just kind of be on edge. And so I think just kind of sharing what parents should look out for, not that your child needs to check every box because every child is different. And so just because your child may not be able to check all the boxes doesn't necessarily mean that they, um, they are on the spectrum or they have a diagnosis. Sometimes it can just mean that that child is delayed or you may need to work with your child in that area a little bit more. Cause I think, um, you know, we definitely believe in nature and nurture and, you know, just the environmental things. So for parents who are parenting kids, like early kids, I know, um, you know, I'm thinking preschool age, like even before preschool. And I think um, I'm a mom of twins. So I'm thinking of my little girls when they were really little, I love to read to them. So by the time my kids were one and two, they actually were pretty chatty because we had engaged so much in reading. And when we would go for walks, I would pick out the colors in, in nature and I would pick out, um, you know, just describe everything. Cause I'm a chatty person by nature. So naturally when I had kids, it was like, let me talk to them, you know? And so um, I think sometimes parents need that push though, to have full conversations with their kids, even if their child cannot talk back, because although yeah. they may not be communicating with us verbally, it doesn't mean that they're not listening and learning and evaluating what we're saying. And sometimes for, for first time parents, they may not be aware of that. So can you kind of give that first time parent some, um, some tips on, you know, what's helpful? Cause I think reading, I think reading is huge. So for yeah. me in my house, that was like the very first item 
I ever bought for my my children was a book. When I found mm -hmm. out I was expecting, I was like, oh, I went to the bookstore. So that's how important books were to me. Um, you know, and some people they may go buy clothes first, but I was just smitten with them <laughs> with the books. <laughs> so um, I think that if you could give some some early like some parents who you know they may only have one kid, like what are some ways that they can engage with them to really help because then you started I know for me when I first had my kids I was hearing DHA is really good for your kids so when you're breastfeeding that's one way to um, kind of give your kid natural DHA but then you started to see all the the baby food and you started to see just vitamins with DHA so it was like a, a overwhelming just inundation of DHA is so important so you know we, we try to implement that and, and give things that are healthy to our kids, but what are some ways that we as parents can foster, um, you know, more learning and, and um, curiosity and help kids become, you know, inquisitive by asking questions and just make a, an, um, uh, an environment that is comfortable to ask questions and talk back and kind of dialogue, because I think it's important for, um, for kids to feel comfortable asking their parents questions and not just one-sided conversations. Yeah, so I, I wholeheartedly agree. And so what I think a lot of parents don't think of, like you said, is like the whole talking, talking back and forth. Well, if you have a baby, the baby can't talk back, but the baby can respond to you. So if you ever have just, you know, maybe if you're a mom and you've had a baby or if you haven't tried this before, I encourage you to try it. But your baby's in the car and or maybe in the house somewhere and you're you're talking talk to the baby like you would talk to someone else the baby will start to your baby will start to respond to you maybe with smiling or cooing or something but they are responding so i would say talk to your children talk to your babies i know they can't talk back but pointing things out to them saying, you know, it's a sunny day. It's, it's the nights outside. Also, when you have, you know, babies get on the floor with them. Um, you know, there's this whole thing about Tommy time, putting the baby on the back. Um, so being on the floor with them, pointing things out, like you said before, I can say for myself. So I have two kids. And so what, one of the things that I was concerned about with my youngest is that he just, he wasn't talking um, as quickly as my oldest did. And so what the pediatrician had to point out to me, she started asking me questions like, are you all requiring him to speak? So there were things that I did as a first time mom, like asking my, um, my oldest son questions and talking to him all the time, where with my youngest, I wasn't doing it as much for two reasons. One, because my oldest was all, always telling me what he wanted. And then two, I was already kind of like in this mommy mode. So I was just doing. And, and so she was like, stop doing that. <laughs> Make him ask for what you want. So you point to something and say what it is and wait for him to respond back. And so that those kind of exchanges are important, right? Um, so even as a first time mom, you point to something, you call it what it is, and then you wait for the response. If your child's not talking yet, I mean, that's one thing, but at least you're identifying these different things. So letting them know it's um, enhancing their vocabulary. And like you said, reading books. Um, taking them on walks, take, allowing them to play outside in different environments, talking about the grass and what it feels like and the, and the trees and all of those things are really important in terms of them learning and picking up um, on different things and kind of helping them to explore and learn about their environments and even who they are as people. 
Yes, yes. I love that you just encourage parents to take walks because during the pandemic, I know some families were afraid to go out and, you know, for various reasons. And I, that was the first thing that came to my mind telling my friends, no, you know, go out in your backyard if you have a backyard, because you, if you stay indoors, just, um, you know, your mental health isn't going to do too well. Yeah. Like as humans, we, we were made to um, get out and explore and breathe fresh, fresh air. We need that for our cognitive, even for adults, for our cognitive development. And so what you just mentioned is just so important. Can, you know, we're still in a pandemic. It has been a year already. Um, time is going by quickly. Can you give families some tips about um, coping with everything that's going on? Some places are opening up and some places, you know, are there schools are kids are able to go back to school but not everywhere so can you kind of give some mental health tips to families that are sometimes they they may be struggling or they may not be comfortable um you know doing everything that they did before like maybe going to restaurants and things like that but can you give them some tips as they parent Sure. So one of the biggest tips that I will say as a parent is to make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure you're, you know, um, eating, eating the best that you can. Right. Because that affects your mood, your your uh, what you eat. If you eat a lot of sugary things, um, a lot of times what people don't know is like it, it serves for the moment. It'll give you a quick high and fix for like 30 minutes, but then you'll crash. Then you'll be moody and irritable. Everything your kids do will start to get on your nerves. Um, make sure you're sleeping. So same thing because sleep deprivation can make you delirious. And so making sure that you're sleeping, making sure that you're doing things that kind of um, pour into you. So, you know, getting outside for yourself, going for a walk by yourself, or even just standing in your doorway. If you can't, if you if you only have five minutes, stand in your doorway for five minutes, get some fresh air and some sun. Um, incorporating exercise is important. Getting on the phone with your girlfriends, laughing. <laughs> um, laughing is good for the soul. Doing those kind of things first. And then in turn, you're a better parent for your kids. And so doing some of the same things with your kids, getting outside with them, um, bike riding if you can, including them. And some of those Zoom calls that you may have, because what I've seen is like, I can be on the phone with one of my girlfriends and their kids hop in the call. They want to talk and do whatever else. And so, I mean, there are times that, you know, you want to have some one-on-one -on -one time where the conversation is serious, but just allowing them the freedom because they want to interact too. Um, a lot of that has changed for them. And so maybe creating um, calls for them. Um, calls for your kids with other friends or creating maybe social distance kinds of events, like having them go to the park, meeting up with a, a friend at the park and y'all just walking, everybody's messed up, just different things. You know, you kind of have to step outside your box. There's a way that you can watch a movie on um, it's a, um, Netflix, Netflix with a friend with the Chrome extension. And so just doing some of those things just to kind of keep, um, you know, socialization of keeping your kids mental health up. Um, one of the things that I like to do with my kids, so I have boys, and so they're not as um, as open expressing themselves. But what I've learned is like, if we're doing something and I start asking questions or just like letting them talk, they're more free about 
opening up than if I'm just in the house and I'm like, hey, how's your day going? How are you feeling? Are you feeling sad? They're just kind of like, yeah, I'm not. Mm -mm." But if we're doing something like playing basketball, going for a walk, riding bikes, and we're just talking or I'm just listening to them tell me what's happening or how they feel, those are great ways to um, find out what's going on with your kids and helping them to um, to stay sane in this whole pandemic. <laughs> yes, yes, because you know the the thing is, while schools may be transitioning, it's a transition for all of us. So parents are working from home more now so than ever before, and you know they're having to pull triple, you know, not just double duty, triple duty. Like you're literally everything for your kids, and so um, just like you said, incorporating them into your life because kids, they always have like this keen sense when they know when, you know, we're like, oh, you know, like when we're stressed about something, kids, you may not say a word, but your children can read you. Like they, they've been around us for so long. They can read our mood. And so being open and honest about that, I think makes a huge difference. And, you know, it's, it's something that we're all learning. We're all navigating this together and we're not experts on pandemics so so it's a struggle for us but it's okay for us to let let our children know hey you know this is this is difficult this is hard and I think you know for me as a parent I've been thinking I'm I'm glad that we're going through this because there will be something else in my child's life that they're going to find to completely uproot their whole world Mm-hmm. And they may be able to look back at these times and say, hey, I was able to get through that experience. So I know that I'll get through this experience. So sometimes we have to change our perspective and how we look at different situations and say, hey, there's actually a benefit from this sort of situation. And how can I, you know, what can I take from this? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that, you know, that we can do. And I, you know, sometimes many of us aren't being able to spend time with grandparents or older adults. So I know my mom loves when we write letters and, um, you know, that that's not something we did. Like we were emailing, like doing all kinds of stuff, but now, you know, our lives have kind of slowed down to the point where it's like, yeah, let's just send a letter in the mail because that's something tangible. We can't necessarily be there physically, but the letter can be there physically. And that's Mm -hmm. something that, is um, is important to have tangible things that you can hold on to, even if you can't hold on to a person. So I love that you you shared those tips with us because I think those are things that we're gonna have to utilize for a while. Yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, I have a question. So in April, it's going to be um, Autism Awareness Month. And I know sometimes we don't always get to see families of color represented in those spaces. What are some things that families who are diverse can do to really um, kind of celebrate the month and engage each other so that they know that all people are represented and valued in the autism space? You know, I think it's important um, that there's representation, right, of uh, diversity or, or people of color in that in the autism awareness, just with parents who are families that are going through this uh, 
who have children that have autism, I think it's important that there's representation. And so one of the things that parents can do is finding other parents um, that have um, kids on the spectrum and getting them together. I know before the pandemic hit, there were different um, social outings, uh, not outings, uh, social gathering places that from like on Saturdays from nine to 10, it was specifically designed for children either on the spectrum or who had some type of disability that could not, um, or maybe whose parents didn't want them to be around the larger crowd. And so that was a good way for um, the community to kind of come together and find other parents and other families that were um, very similar to them. And I think that that's really important in that and that you find a community um, that that looks like you um, that are going through some of the same things that you're going through that have some supports. Um, so I have some friends and they've kind of created a group um, based on their kids. We're all going to school together. And so they've kind of formed a group. And so they network with each other. They're not all their kids aren't all the same age, but they so they use that as a way. OK, so how did you navigate this and what do I need to do for this? And so they've learned to kind of they've kind of created their own group um, and then they they will bring in other people as they, you know, kind of come up and, and find out their child has um, autism. They'll bring them into the group, which I think is, is pretty spectacular. So definitely um, getting out into your community and finding other people. The great thing about um, the pandemic, well, it was already in existence before, but social media is definitely a way to connect. Um, and so with the pandemic, though, I think it's forced people to do more reaching out than what they may have done prior to. And so using social media as the way to find other people to create your own community. Absolutely. And I know for me, as a mom of a child with a chronic illness, social media has been one way where I've met people who have changed my whole outlook. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't talk about it a whole lot on my podcast, but I have a daughter who has sickle cell disease and I did not know anyone with uh, sickle cell disease. It was on Facebook that I started to meet my community of people and sickle cell disease patients and people who are doing phenomenal. They're some of the hardest working, most passionate people I've ever met. And I've learned so much from them. So I can say from firsthand experience that reaching out to social media can truly be an eye-opening experience where you can learn a lot, you can, you know, um, gather speaking opportunities and really learn how to advocate um, mm -hmm. just wholeheartedly. You can put all of your passion together with other people and it can magnify your voice in your community. So I think what you said is just spot on. It's something that I've been living and I think that is just amazing. So I want to ask you, you are doing so much phenomenal work and you are a mom, you're a doctor, you're helping other people. How do you make it work <laughs> as, as a mom? Because, you know, some, some of us where, you know, our kids may be remote learning, they may be um, homeschooling, but, and, and then the parent still has to work. And I think you're definitely doing that. How are you able to, um, do some self-care work and make sure that your children are getting the education they need. So um, I um, practice what I preach. So I get up early before my whole house is up and so that I can take in um, some quiet time so that I can kind of work out and kind of get my, my own 
self thoughts together. Um, and then, and then I start off the day with my kids, but scheduling is everything. Um, and so right now we are, I am homeschooling my kids for this year. And so we spend, um, the top part of the morning doing school. Um, they spend the latter part of the morning or the latter part of the day while I'm working, they're doing homework, they're doing projects, they're doing, uh, STEM zoom classes that I found for them. Um, they're doing Spanish, they're doing other things that I found for them to do. So they're um, engaged in in other things outside of like the electronics and TV. Um, and so for me, it's really been about scheduling um, everything and making time for everything during that schedule. So that's kind of how I try to keep it all together. <laughs> that is awesome. I, you know, I truly believe that when you are able to plan. So do you plan like um, a week in advance? Because I think when I first started homeschooling, I found that the as much like, like if I was going to give um, worksheets or if I had a binder where I, you know, let my kids know this is what's going to happen this week. The earlier, the earlier I put the information in the book, the easier it was for me to work at the same time. Even if I had to ask for help, I could say, hey, you know, this is what is available for them to do. I was able to, I'm able to articulate what needs to be done in a better way. I'm able to give my kids a checklist. So what are you doing to, um, you know, you said, you said that you plan, how early do you plan? So do you do it a week in advance, a month in advance? You know, how does that work for you? So I don't plan a a month in advance. That would be really good. Um, But thankfully this year I've used a curriculum. And so um, what I do is my youngest, I'll divide up all of his stuff by weeks. And so I may do that initially when I started doing this, I did it for like like a month. Cause I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. I haven't done homeschooling before. Now I I do like weeks at a time. So while they're um, doing something, sheet work or something I'm pulling together maybe the next few weeks um like this morning I was kind of marking down in our um planner the the rest of this week I was trying to get all of April done I didn't finish but that was my goal and now I'm not doing I am writing down the things that they're going to be working on um and I'm using a guided curriculum to help me um and so I know what what is coming and I know how much time we have left and so I also put that on the board for them to see what they need to finish for the day but somebody would be able to go into the planner if I'm not here like my husband or if my mom is helping she could just open the planner and say, okay, this is what they need to do for the day. They pretty much have the routine down. We've been kind of doing this same schedule um, for a while. And so if I have something going on, like a, like a podcast interview, <laughs> um, I will tell them or schedule it while I know they're doing, um, they're in their quiet time or they're doing work so that I'm not interrupted. So that's just kind of how I kind of plan it out. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Because I think, you know, some, for me, you know, as a person who plans, it can seem like, oh, it's easy. You know, that's what can come to mind. But I've learned over the years that what I may see as something that is simple is not simple for everybody. And so, <laughs> so 
So, you know, explaining how we make it work, I think mm-hmm. is just really helpful for parents. It may not be, you know, everybody's homeschool is going to be different. Nobody's mm-hmm. homeschool is just alike. And my number one rule is that you have to be flexible. And mm-hmm. so for you, when you first started homeschooling, you kind of alluded to that it's not the same as when you first started. You've had to you've had to change some things. What are some things that you were like, oh, that didn't work? <laughs> Has was there anything that just didn't work at first? And you were like, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> so I was initially, I was like by the book, like, okay, we, we have to do this by this time. We have to, you know, finish all of this at this time. Like if there was no, there really was no room to do anything else. So if, if I thought, okay, we need to be doing school from eight to 12. And if y'all finish at 11, I'm giving y'all some more work. Cause I see y'all haven't done enough. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, if, we have, if, if y'all have done everything that we need to do and it's only been two hours, we're done. Um, and so just learning how to be more flexible, learning how, um, so they have um, some of their work is um, also, but it's video guided. And so learning to say too, like, you don't have to do the video, um, get the lesson, get the concept. And for some, my oldest son was like, I don't want to do this for every subject. So some, 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 uh, some subjects I work with him um, on just he and I. So, but that's not how it was at the beginning. I was like, okay, we're going to follow this format. We're going to follow these rules because homeschooling is not what I do. Um, and then as time went on, I was like, okay, yeah, this isn't going to work. Let's, let's find out what works best for us. Um, and what serves you all, um, my kids better. And so that's just kind of what we formulated our own kind of thing. (laughs) That's awesome. Have you seen any things where you were like, wow, they need to be challenged more and you've decided to, you know, was there like a resource that you were like, man, this is, this is so much better and it adds additional information and it really supplements their education well, where it provided that challenge that they may not have had in the book. Cause I, I find that when you get a box curriculum, it may be okay for some things, but rarely is it good for every single thing. And because we're different, you know, we may be advanced in some areas, not so advanced in other areas. It's just, it's hard for there to be a one size fits all I kind of feel like that just doesn't exist (laughs) but um but I think you know you can there are resources that I think that families can find that can really provide um something that's interesting and I think with homeschool you want the information to be interesting Mm -hmm. and something that they enjoy so is there any resource that you were like "I, I really like that so what I've um, used is Teacher Pay Teacher. I think that's the, mm-hmm. the website that you can go to. And so I've gotten some different things because with my oldest son, with the curriculum that we're using, it's okay, but their focus on writing is not what I would like for it to be. So I've, I've had to supplement. Um, and then I don't use some of the things they have for like book reports and things like that. I was like, you were doing more than this last year in school. So we're not going to use this. We're going to I'm going to give you a sheet. I'm going to tell you what the requirements that I have for you are, because I know you can do more. Um, And so teacher pay teacher has been great. (laughs) Me coming up with my own ideas. Um, And then there was 
there's another resource. It, it, it's not coming to mind right now that I've used, um, but Googling has been my best friend too um, on homeschooling resources. So I know for different things that I've wanted for my kids to do, maybe I've had something else to do or I call them non, sometimes they have non-traditional school days where they're not um, required to do the seat work, but they're learning through a movie um, and they're having to answer questions. And so I've gotten some of those resources from Googling just different homeschool websites. We use ABC um, as a resource on things that they they use to supplement what they are already doing. Awesome. Now, as a, a parent of young Black men, do you have, um, is there anything that you feel like has helped uh, instill, instill confidence in your sons that you can share with us? Yeah. So one of the things that is really important to me is that they know who they are and they know who they are based on what, who God says they are. So every morning we go for a walk um, around the block. And during that time, I've asked them to tell me, give me five, um, five things, five characteristics about them, about who they are. And so we, I have them repeat those things. Um, and it's not who, it's not who I say they are. It's who they say they're, who they say they are. And those things align with what they believe. I mean, what the God of the word of God says about who they are. And so I have them do that. We do that daily. Um, and I think it's important. So I use that to kind of instill some of those values in them. And really, because what I want them to know is no matter what the world says about you, this is who you are. Um, and don't let, allow anybody else to tell you anything different. So we do that. And then we have a little motto that I found <laughs> the teacher supply, and it talks about their character and their destiny and their words becoming action. And so we do that as well. I love it. I love it because, you know, affirmations are really popular right now. And I think that giving our kids the freedom to define those affirmations for themselves, I think that's really where the power is because we can tell them things, but unless they truly believe it and they internalize it and it comes from them, that's when they begin to put that into action and apply it to their lives. So I think what you said is just spot on. And I think it's something that whatever age you are, like you don't have to be a child to benefit from that. As adults, we can also benefit from taking some time to identify our five of our own characteristics. Who are we? And I think that will help us um, motivate ourselves going forward so that we can put um, our goals in line because our children are watching us. How are yep. we achieving our goals? How are we um, following our dreams and, you know, what is next for us? Our world, our story hasn't been, you know, written to the end. We're still mm -hmm. living it. We're still defining who we are and our kids are, are looking at that. And so I think that being healthy and whole, it starts with who we feel like we are mm -hmm. as, as individuals. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so can you tell us, you have a podcast too, and I want my listeners to definitely tune into your podcast because you, you know, you've definitely shared some gems right now. And I know that on your podcast, I've listened to a couple of episodes and it's just so, so moving. So can you tell everybody just a little bit about your podcast and how they can tune in? Sure. So the podcast is called Mahogany Moms Podcast. And so it was 
it came because I, I was working with women who were moms who thought they were the only ones dealing with what they were dealing with. And so they felt isolated and alone. And so the podcast was created so that moms could tell their stories and it can normalize some of the challenges that moms face because motherhood is hard and every day is not a great day. And so, you know, my hope is that by other moms hearing mom's stories that they're like, I'm not alone. There are other moms going through this with me. And so you can find the podcast where you can find all other podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google. Um, but yeah, tune in, listen to a, a mom, give her a story. And, you know, also if you if something resonates with you that that mom is share, you can also reach out to her directly and talk more about that situation with her. And so that's the whole goal. It's really kind of creating a community for moms so they don't feel alone. Yes, I, I love it. So can you, you just brought up challenges. So I know that all of us as moms face challenges, regardless of our education, economic status, just whatever this is a part of human life so as you know someone who has the tools to know what to do next how do you get through uh, what can you identify a challenge that you faced as a mom and um you know a career woman and let us know how you were able to overcome that challenge sure so one of the reasons why I started specializing in maternal mental health is because after my oldest son was born, I um, experienced postpartum depression. Well, I went through everything. <laughs> Thoughts of, I mean, um, some bouts of infertility. Um, I had a miscarriage. Um, I had a traumatic birth. I hemorrhaged um, after my son was born. Everything you can think of that I that I was specializing in, um, I experienced for myself. And so postpartum depression, though, is so interesting because I, at the time, I knew what it was. I was a clinician and I, I was very familiar with it, but I also was hesitant to get help for fear that someone would take take my son. Um, and so I, I always say that that was a rational fear and it was also irrational to some extent. Rational because it's, it, it, it happens to women of color all the time. Um, and so irrational to a degree in that um, I could have sought help in a way that would not have caused maybe led to that happening. Um, and so what I did was eventually I got um, <laughs> some help, um, started talking to a therapist, but I also figured out who I was again, because I had lost myself in motherhood and in, in having him and, and just being so caught up in that role that I started to do things that um, that I was doing before I became a mom. So I love to work out. I had gained a lot of weight with my son uh, due to fibroids and the, the water weight and all of those things. And so um, I started working out again. I started getting out more because I didn't feel good about myself. I was limiting the things that I did. Um, my husband was working like a, he worked a, a job that he, his schedule was crazy. And so what I did was included help. So I got my mom and my, my parents, my mother-in-law to kind of help take some of, um, when he wasn't available, they could step in and just allowing them to help asking for help. Um, and so those are some of the things that I did to cope. Um, and so that was, that was a huge challenge for me. Um, just because I knew, I knew what it was, but I wasn't willing or not want to say willing. Um, I felt guilty. I, I felt guilty and I felt ashamed that I was, experiencing this um and 
Yeah. And that I, I wasn't willing to seek help, but I also knew later on that if I was feeling that way, how many more, how many other women were feeling the same way and not having a name for it or having the same resources that I had. So you just, you just mentioned something that I think is just critical. And that is you were able to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something in the African-American community. Sometimes we as women feel like we have to be so strong, whatever strong means to us. And um, we, we carry this weight without being willing to ask for help. And sometimes that means that we know we need help. And we may even have friends that say, hey, let me know if you need something. But we say that so casually that we don't actually think other people mean that. And so when you when you just mentioned that you were able to say to your mom and to your mother-in-law that you know you needed their help, for that woman who's like, I need some help, but I'm afraid to ask because I know that there are women like that out there. I have been there myself, like many of us, because, you know, it's like we tell ourselves that the expectation is that we can truly do it all. And so I like to be real and I like to be frank about it. There is no person on this earth that can do it all. All of us need help. And, you know, we often look to celebrities and we look to people and we're like, oh, they look so fit. They look, they got a whole team helping them <laughs> as parents. And Absolutely. so here we are trying to do it alone or maybe with our spouse. And it's just not happening that quickly. And that is normal. And so how does, how does one ask for help? How, how can they let people know? Because I, I, I feel like sometimes when people say, hey, can I help you? Sometimes we don't even know what to ask. So, you know, if they're kind of weaning themselves into allowing people to help, how can they do that? So one of the things I will say is, um, one, get out of your own head because you create this conversation in your head and what you think someone else is thinking about you or going to say in response to what you ask for. So getting outside of your head and also making a list maybe of some of the things that you could use help with. So, you know, maybe you don't want somebody coming to sit with your baby, but maybe you need somebody to come wash your dishes or do your laundry. Um, and so I think it's knowing, getting some idea of how someone could help you first um, will help you to be able to, to then say, can you help me do X, Y, and Z, right? Because sometimes just the open-endedness of saying, I need help. And then somebody, you know, someone will ask you, what do you need help with? And you're like, I don't know everything. That can be a lot, that can be overwhelming for you to say that to someone else. So it's sitting with yourself saying, if I could, if I had a team of people, or if I was a celebrity, what would I want somebody to come in here and do? And so, and then, you know, saying, okay, this is what I can ask for help with. And it could be something, it could be something small, just test the waters because I can guarantee you, just like I was reluctant to ask for help. Once I asked for it, it was like, oh yeah, I can do that. Or what else do you need help with? So it was, it became easier once I made that initial first step. And I realized that people were willing to help me. Yes. So I want to just throw in this little caveat because I think there are, you know, 
there may not be a mom that's expecting, she may not be a new mom, but there may be a mom who recently got a diagnosis or a mom who just found out, you know, she's going to have surgery or something, something other than what we expect. It may even be someone who's a caregiver to someone who's chronically ill. So those are just some, some scenarios where a person may need help. And it is okay for you to identify and recognize and accept the fact that you need help. And so just like you just laid out, those are ways, like make that list. So if you think, if anything that we have said in this podcast resonates with you, make the list and allow other people to help. So I'm just glad that you touched on that because even those of us who may be the one who's inclined to say that to a friend, hey, what, you know, do you need anything? Um, we can, instead of just say, do you need anything? We can say, we can identify what areas we can actually help them with. Hey, would you like me to help you wash your clothes? Would you like for me to come and wash your dishes? You know, do you need me to pick up some groceries from, from the store for you? Like there are things that, you know, don't necessarily, because we're still in the pandemic. So they may not be something we do inside a person's roof, under their roof. It may be something that we can do externally and provide a service to them. And so what you, what you just outlined, it, it came to mind. There are numerous ways that we could reach out to those in our community who may not reach out to us, but we may know that they need us. And mm-hmm. it's okay to say, hey, I can help you with X, Y, and Z. And if they don't take us up, that's on them, but we can yes. definitely offer that. I agree wholeheartedly. I didn't, I, I've said this before, but I didn't think about it. So you said it because we, a lot of times we put the burden on, on the mom or on the parent or on the person when we know that there's things that we could do. And so instead of just asking, it's just really a matter of saying, Hey, I was, I was going to the store. I'll pick you up a few groceries. What do you need? Um, and so changing the, the dialogue, um, so that we, are making ourselves more accessible, right? Because when people are reluctant to ask for help, it's because they don't, a lot of times they don't want to impose. Um, And so by us kind of imposing, (laughs) um, it takes away that burden from the other person. Absolutely. So this has been just a true joy because I think, you know, especially in the, in, in the Black community. And I know I keep going back to that, but I think, you know, these conversations on mm-hmm. how to be helped and, you know, on mental health, on diagnosis with our kids, these are not conversations that I grew up having. These aren't right. conversations I grew up hearing. And so I like to make it a safe space for us to be honest about what's going on in our world. And I think this conversation with you has done just that. I think we talked about some things that people really need and, you know, it may have given them a different perspective and a different outlook on their own personal experience. So I thank you for that. And is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about, to be able to, um, you know, to just learn from you. I feel like you are a wealth of knowledge and I'm certainly this short amount of time just doesn't even scratch the surface of what you can share with us. But definitely, you know, everybody go listen to her podcast, but, you know, let us know, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners today? 
No, so I know that sometimes moms, oftentimes, maybe after they've had a child, they're having a hard time um, dealing with things. Maybe they're not, maybe it's not postpartum depression, but you're having a hard time adjusting and you just need to know that other moms are going through that. Um, I do have a journal um, because I know that everybody's not going to go to therapy um, that has like some tips from other moms and it has some emotional prompts. It's um, the journal is called Burps, Bibs and Breakdowns. And you can find it. It's a 90 day journal for moms and you can find it on Amazon. And so it also has some check-ins for mom just to kind of make sure you're taking care of yourself. Right. Because after you have a baby, all the focus and attention is gone to the baby. But you also are important. And so don't want you to get lost in that. And so that's just, you know, something else I have going on. Um, and then if you're a mom, a parent struggling with um, a recent diagnosis, there is, a, I have a journal called embracing, um, embracing um, what's next, embracing, yeah, and um, it's a 30-day journal for, for parents, and so it, it kind of takes you through some of the questions that you ask yourself when you first get the diagnosis, and then challenges you to look at it from a, a different perspective, and so, um, yeah, so that will be coming out that will be coming out soon, <laughs> um, coming out for print soon. But yeah, so follow me um, on all the on all the places. <laughs> so tell us, tell us your name and everybody, I will put um, the journal, I will put it in the show notes. And when the second one is out, I will add that to the show notes, but I'll definitely share those journals on my pages. Can you tell everybody the name of your social channels so they can go right there and follow you? Sure. So IG is um, at Providential Counseling. Um, same thing for, well, um, you can find the podcast information is mahoganymomspodcast.com. Um, and so, yeah, um, if you have need for parent coaching, that's nextstepseducation.com. So, um, but yeah, Providential Counseling, you can find me um, and you can find all of the information about all of the things that I do. Awesome. And listen, everybody, I will put every one of those links in the show notes. So be sure to support and let her know you heard about her and the work that she is doing on the Cleverly Changing podcast. So thank you. Thank you. And we just appreciated having you. Did you know that we sell merchandise to keep our podcast going? Order a hoodie, t-shirt, mugs, and more today. Visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.